Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson from SaveWithConrad.com. Heads up, homeowners, all of a sudden your house is worth more than ever these last few years. But what are we going to do with that newfound equity? No, I'm not suggesting you sell your house or go buy something else. But didn't we all make this decision when we bought a house where we said, hey, someday we'd like to, and one day it would be nice if, maybe it's the dream kitchen, maybe it's an in-ground pool, maybe it's a man cave. But you've got this newfound equity, and I think we should use some of that equity to turn your house into your dream home with no money out of pocket. But even better than that, we're routinely helping folks do this and they wind up with a cheaper monthly payment. So if you got the dream house you always wanted with no money out of pocket and your payments went down, how easy is that? Find out how easy it is to turn your house into your dream home with no money out of pocket right now at SaveWithConrad.com. We can't wait to hear about your projects Tell us what your dream is. We're going to help you make it happen at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! What's going on, everyone? It's time for another edition of Strictly Business here on the Ad-Free Shows and Podcast Heat Networks. I am John Alba, and we have a special treat ahead for you on this edition of Strictly Business. Eric Bischoff and I are going to be joined by Justin Barrasso of Sports Illustrated for a really interesting conversation about human interest storytelling and wrestling journalism. But that's for a few minutes from now. Before we do that, I got to introduce the man of the hour, Mr. Eric Bischoff, Easy e What's going on, brother? How you doing today? I got I to get my beauty queen wave in. Is that how you do it? There, there we go. You got to yeah, cup your hand a little more. There you go. There you go. I like it. What's going on, man? Oh, what's going on? Uh, got up at 4 o'clock this morning, went up into the mountains, did some deer hunting, got back here just in time to do this show. 
Love That's it. what's going on. That's my life. Love it. Uh, we will be airing the Justin Barrasso interview in just a few minutes, but what can people look forward to when they hear that interview, Eric? You know, Justin's such an insightful guy and he's been around wrestling and, and wrestlers for such a long time. I love his approach and, and Justin goes deep into his, I guess, style of writing, which is to get to know the character beyond what everybody else talks about. He's got some interesting examples, one being Randy Savage and some some of the people that he talked to to cover Randy and the amazing stories he's he's received as a result. And I think it's one of the reasons why Justin is is one of those writers, uh, especially because he's Sports Illustrated, he's mainstream. That can be intimidating to a lot of talent because you're afraid of the gotcha questions. You're afraid of saying something you mean it the right way. It gets interpreted the wrong way. By the time it gets to the reader, it's all twisted up and gnarled up and not at all what you really felt or what you were meaning to say. Justin's one of the few that I've dealt with that is very sensitive to that and, and respects that. So he's got a lot of credibility with a lot of people that I know. It's very, a great conversation. Very, very, You're going to be able to check it out here on this edition of Strictly Business. Hey, it's also the beginning of the month of November, which means there's a lot of good stuff going on over on adfreeshows.com. Eric, and you and Conrad continued your look back through the Monday Night Wars this week on 83 Weeks with a watch along of Halloween Havoc 1999. One of the more infamous skits during that period of time. Well, we saw the whole billionaire Ted stuff launched from the WWE side. Conrad had a chance to sit down recently with a man who created those skits, David Sahadi, over on Ad Free Shows. Take a listen to a clip from that. I'll tell you the most depressing thing I worked on, which I thought was a waste of energy, but when Nitro went, you know, head to head up on the night, Vince was losing his talent and he created this character called Billionaire Ted. And it was my job every week to do these billionaire Ted videos. And most of them were being ambitious and long, you know, they're Vince's ideas. The ideas I had were creative and they were pretty cool, but his ideas just like me, and I'm like, why are you wasting so much energy bashing this billionaire? Why don't we just focus on our product? I mean, negativity out there is not gonna help us whatsoever. Because there might be fans that are fans of both. So why are you right. asking, you know, one company? The lowest point of my time there, when I was tasked with doing the billionaire Ted videos for, it was probably just four months, but it seemed, it seemed like a year. And it was every single week, Conrad. I didn't know Sahadi did those damn things. <laughs> I'm friends with Dave. I'm going to call him. I'm giving some shit. Well, it sounds like he didn't want to do them. No, so I'm just kidding. I'm make just of kidding. that what you Ted, will. Well, Ted Turner got a kick out of him. Okay. Ted, when they first broke, Bill Shaw, who was my, I think Bill was still my boss at the time. Might have been Harvey Schiller. I don't remember. But whoever it was, I wasn't in the room, but um, I think it was Bill Shaw thought, man, this, whew, we better, uh, we better go get this, we better show these to Ted before he finds out on his own. And they went up and, and showed a couple of these things to Ted. He just busted, what, what I was told is he just busted out laughing. He thought they were funny as hell. There you go. Okay. Taking it lighthearted. Well, you can hear from David Sahadi and so many other key figures behind the scenes over the years, like Gary Jester, John Filippelli. Mike Weber, Mike Mansuri, and a brand new interview that just dropped with Ring of Honor's Carrie Silken in the Insiders exclusively over at adfreeshows.com. Now, Eric, as we were recording our interview with Justin Barrasso, we got some breaking news that we got to cover here on the business of the wrestling business, Strictly Business, and that is that AEW 
has signed, per their words in this press release, wrestling legend Ric Flair. Signs a multi-year deal with AEW. The Nature Boy's new Woo Energy is announced as the exclusive energy drink of AEW. From the release, AWCO Tony Khan today announced a multi-year deal with Hall of Famer Nature Boy Ric Flair, who surprised fans in attendance and viewers at home during last week's AEW Dynamite show in Philadelphia, marking his historic return to TBS by appearing as Khan's special gift for the icon Sting. Flair's AEW debut comes on the heels of his longtime friend Sting's impending retirement announcement, which will culminate with the Icon's final match at AEW Revolution in 2024. Over the course of their 30-year history, Flair and Sting have shared incredible rivalries, momentous matches, and a respected friendship. Here's the interesting part here. Khan also announced that Flair's Woo Energy will become the exclusive drink of AEW. During AEW show dates, select host venues will carry the clean energy drink at concession stands for fans to enjoy. In addition, the beverage will be stocked in the wrestlers' lockers rooms and will also be seen on the announcers' desks during live broadcasts. Fans watching at home can experience Woo Energy by ordering via WooEnergy.com. And in a quote from both of them, I, I want to read the quotes from Rick and Tony Khan here. Tony says, Rick cemented his legacy as one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time long ago, and now his world-renowned persona and his amazing wrestling mind will be major assets to AEW's programming and our position globally. Most importantly, it's fitting that the final chapter of Sting's iconic career will unfold on TBS with Ric Flair by his side. Rick says, I've been in the wrestling business for over 50 years together with AEW and Woo Energy. I've never been more excited and I've never had more energy. When the Nature Boy promises a show, you know how it's going to go. Woo. Lots to digest there, Eric, including potentially a can of Woo Energy. <laughs> but uh, I'd like your initial thoughts before I read you a report that just came out from Sean Ross Sapp discussing more on this. You know, I'm happy for Rick. Rick, professional wrestling is Ric Flair's life. Ric Flair left Richard Fleer behind a long time ago. And I'm happy for Rick because Rick loves the business. He loves being around the business. It's good for Rick. It's really good for Rick. The Woo Energy thing, that's obviously a great opportunity for the people who are behind Woo Energy to get it some national promotion and exposure. That's a good thing. It makes it easier for the distributors um, who are trying to sell that drink and getting it into the retail outlets around the country. I had a little bit of experience with that, with the Hulk Hogan energy drink way back, got it into 3,500 Walmarts, Walmart stores nationwide. Um, it's hard. It's hard to penetrate the retail market. And this is a, a lever and a leverage point that I'm sure the, the sales team behind Woo Energy is going to be able to leverage and take advantage of. So it's a win for Rick personally. It's a win for the people behind Woo Energy. And let's see what it means to AEW. Time will tell. So here's the report from Sean Rossat via Fightful Select. And uh, this, is, this is pretty interesting. Sean says, the press release provided by AEW mentioned Flair's Woo Energy drink. Sources close to Flair told Fightful that the deal was very similar to that of Randy Savage's to WCW in the mid-1990s, where part of getting flair was also procuring a deal with the energy drink that would cover a significant portion, if not all, of Ric Flair's salary in all elite wrestling. In the 90s, Randy Savage departed WWF for WCW and took a lucrative sponsorship deal with Slim Jim. 
with him. Eric Bischoff had noted in the past that as part of landing the Slim Jim deal, it paid a significant portion of Randy Savage's salary within the company at the time. When asking AEW sources about the motivations of having Flair on the roster beyond what you see on the surface, merchandising was cited as a big possibility. Between video games, action figures, and general merchandise, those are seen as big openings for the usage of Flair if those are part of the deal. So pretty uh, immediate tie-in here, Eric, to something from your past. When you hear that report from Sean, do you see any parallels there? Well, obviously, if, if if what Sean reported is true, and I believe it probably is, or Sean wouldn't have reported it, um, yeah, it's very similar to to what I did with in Randy's case, by the way, um, just a slight correction here. The Slim Jim deal covered 100% of Randy's salary. So all of it. Got it. Uh, he, he covered all of it um, and, and did for a couple of years. So Randy was, I got Randy for free. <laughs> so, And that's why it's a win. It's a win for Rick. It gets him close to a business that is his life, really. It's it's in his genetic makeup, his DNA. Um, if somewhere were someone were to take some of that DNA and replicate it and clone Ric Flair or Richard Flair, it would end up being Ric Flair. And and uh, th- there's no denying how much Rick loves the business. So it's 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 a win-win and potentially a win-win-win. We'll just have to wait and see how much of a win it is for the AEW product. Can you explain how that works where the company covers the entirety of the salary? Sure, it's really simple. In Randy's case, um, Based on what Slim Jim wanted in terms of product integration, we were able to afford that. When I say afford that, we were able to execute what they were hoping to get, but we put a price tag on it that was exactly the same as Randy Sav- Randy Savage's ask. Seven hundred fifty grand from Slim Jim and seven hundred fifty grand for Randy, and WCW got Randy Savage essentially with no impact on, at all on our budget. And Slim Jim expressed happiness with the partnership? Well, they were thrilled because we bent over backwards. You know, I don't remember if, I don't know if you remember any of those shows early on, but Randy would come out center stage and we'd be throwing Slim Jims to the audience and we had Slim Jim turnbuckles and Slim Jim all over the place. And, you know, throughout the show, there were Slim Jim references. It was in programming, not a commercial. Because people tune out of commercials, but they can't tune out of in program. And uh, there was a ton of in-program uh, exposure for Slim Jim. So they were thrilled. I mean, they, I think we had that contract for close to three or four years, if I remember right. Uh, so it was very, very, very effective. Bringing Rick in kind of echoes what we discussed last week here on the podcast where you and I had that discussion about AW starting to lean a little more in on some of these well-known legends and big names potentially with these TV deals coming up or whatever the situation may be there on the surface level, we don't know what the creative is going to be. We know right now he's involved with sting, but what kind of value, if any, do you believe Rick adds to AW television? I know what he can add, you know, nobody has a crystal ball and nobody knows what's in the mind of Tony Khan and his creative, or if Rick will have any influence over that. But I think, you know, just my first gut instinct is that Rick will end up managing. He'll end up being a mouthpiece. He'll end up representing some young talent that's on its way up, that needs that credibility, that needs, as they say in the wrestling business for years now, the rub. And who better to get a rub from than a guy like Rick Flair? That's what I see. I, I really can't see Rick, you know, doing much in ring. 
other than maybe a run-in or a, a uh, you know, involvement, but not necessarily matches. Uh, but more than anything, I think Rick's gift of gab and his, his persuasiveness on the mic will probably lend itself more than anything to what we see on camera. I don't know how much Rick will get involved behind the scenes, but that could be interesting as well. Look, Tony needs somebody. He needs somebody. You know, Rick doesn't have a lot of television experience. He's got, you know, decades and decades and decades of success as a wrestler uh, in terms of formatting and actually writing television. I don't think that's necessarily Rick's strength, but if you can tap into his mind and his experience and his understanding of psychology and help translate that into perhaps better storytelling, I think that could be very valuable. Perhaps I'm looking a little too into it, but I read that press release and the amount of times that was mentioned, Ric Flair returns to TBS, Ric Flair on TBS, Ric Flair on TBS, Turner. That, to me, gives some indication that Tony Khan, at least, views equity with flair as far as warner brothers discovery is concerned and if these television deals are not fully fortified yet bringing in a guy like rick and name recognition there feels like there could be i know you hate this word but some sort of synergy there that's just the way that i read that do you see anything to that you know i don't like to read tea leaves i I just don't I get it. I totally get it. Well, we're going to have more discussion about AEW in just a little bit here on Strictly Business, but I want to get a chance to transition to our interview here with Justin Barrasso. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this discussion as Justin breaks down pro wrestling storytelling, Sports Illustrated, and a whole lot more. I am so freaking excited because we are just a few weeks away from WrestleCade. It's a three-day family-friendly convention going down in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and so many of your favorite wrestling legends are going to be there. Eric Bischoff, Brian Danielson, the Hardy Boys, Matt Cardona, Arn Anderson, and so many more of your ad-free shows and podcast heat favorites will be in attendance. I'm going to be there as well, and I'm going to be doing a live show with Matt Hardy as we bring the extreme life of Matt Hardy live to the stage to discuss Becoming Broken, how Matt Hardy became the Broken Matt character. It's going to be the first time ever that we're hitting the stage with that. That's going to be at 8.30 on Friday, November 24th. Eric Bischoff's going to be there signing, representing the ad-free shows team. It is going to be a convention you do not want to miss out on right after Thanksgiving. Head on over to WrestleCade.com right now to pick up your tickets. All right, Eric, I have been really excited to bring our next guest here onto Strictly Business for some time. He's someone I've gotten to know pretty well over the past few years, and I got a lot of respect for his work. And he's joining us now to discuss the business of the business. He is Justin Barrasso, combat sports extraordinaire from Sports Illustrated. What's going on, Justin? And breaking some ground here, a Red Sox fan and a Yankees fan. Though (laughs) neither one were winners this year with Jordan Montgomery and Nate Aldi pitching so well in the World Series. But, hey, thank you so much. Big fan of, obviously, uh, John, your work. And and Eric, uh, Eric, I've had the chance to cover positive stories, not so positive stories in wrestling. Eric will always put his name out there. Um, He stands for what he believes in. And, yeah, I'm grateful to be be here with both of you. Well, we're glad to have you. Always good to see you, Justin. 
Thank you. A man Absolutely. who has his finger on the pulse of not only the sports industry, but the wrestling industry as well. And and that's why I want to bring you in here, Justin, because I find what you do to be so interesting. You're not just covering wrestling, you're not just covering MMA, but you're covering a sector for an institution of sports journalism that I think even 10 years ago might have been unfathomable to have a beat dedicated to what you do. So before we delve into the semantics of that, can you give us some background on how you got involved with Sports Illustrated in the first place? Yeah, of course. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, though, because I remember in when did I finish grad school a decade ago, 12 years ago. And I remember uh, doing a couple projects in grad class about wrestling. And I remember a professor or two saying, these are fun. They could never go anywhere with them. You could never go anywhere with them, but they're fun stories or interesting stories or compelling stories. So it's been so interesting. I had a macho man, Randy Savage story. It's actually how I first connected with your partner, John and Eric and Eric was so I feel like it was so different in that era, but I remember reaching out to Eric. I was writing for the Boston Herald, and I thought I, I could grow with the Herald in terms of our wrestling uh, coverage. Years ago, Killer Kowalski had a, had a piece in the Weekly Herald, and I thought Saturday is such a thin newspaper. Um, it would be a good opportunity to grow and to, to build the wrestling section there. They weren't interested, um, so I was pitching this Macho Man Randy Savage story, and I had some good Eric Bischoff stories on that too, but um, I sent it to a bunch of people, Fox Sports, ESPN, and the first to respond was Sports Illustrated. Andy Gray was the editor, and he's from Framingham. I'm from, I grew up in north of Boston in Peabody, and he said, um, I don't think we knew that yet, but we had a lot in common. I learned so much from Andy. He said, I, I wanna take a chance on this. Um, but we didn't end up running that Savage story. I forget why. It just didn't work. The timing. Uh, so it was a, actually another Eric Bischoff involved story. It was a Bret Hart story on the Montreal Screwjob. And um, Bret had his comments. Uh, I believe Eric was in that story as well. I'd have to go back and look. But uh, that story was a top, you know, it ran in November. It was a top 25 hit piece on SI.com. And... We were off and running. Andy said, can you do something else? So we ran another piece. Can you do something else? We ran another piece. I think uh, Shawn Michaels was the next one. And then there were a few more after that. Um, and then Andy pushed for a weekly week in wrestling column, which we run every Wednesday now. And uh, yeah, so it built from there. But it is interesting how so much of the landscape has changed. I remember, I think it was for the interview with Eric, tweeting Eric and saying, I had a question about Randy Savage. And Eric tweeted back and he said, what's your email? I mean, it just, I, it was kind of the infancy of, you know, Twitter was so nascent, right? Where you could do this. I feel like now if someone's reaching out to you, it's like, what am I in store for next? But, and then Eric, not knowing me, I mean, I had, a, I'm, I'm sure I introduced myself and gave my background and I did go to journalism school. I went, you know, I call undergrad, I went to journalism school for writing. And Eric gave these great Randy Savage stories about Randy. It was a great story. Now, Eric can fill in the blanks here. But it was they were in Vegas for Halloween Havoc and they're in his hotel room. Yeah. And I, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd never heard it before. And again, this is what, 2012, 2013, and Randy's dying his beard. I believe, Eric, correct me if I'm wrong, also butt naked. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, he had a suite in, uh, in the uh, hotel where we were at in Las Vegas. Um, 
the MGM grant. And uh, I was in the middle of it, just started renegotiating Randy's contract. And of course, Randy had about a month left on his contract, but we were right in the middle of things. And, you know, we were asking, asking Randy to do some things in the finish and Randy being the businessman and all pretty old school. He was a little reluctant to move forward without having some ideas to where we were going to go in the future, which I understood. So I was there ostensibly to begin negotiating with, with Randy. And I showed up hung over as hell. Cause I've been out the night before in Las Vegas till about two in the morning, having way too much fun. And I got to Randy's room about nine o'clock in the morning and Randy had taken a red eye into Vegas. So he let me in and I sat out in the bedroom area, the, the largest part of the suite. And Randy was in getting ready. He was dying his hair and we're kind of negotiating back and forth. And of course there's a big, bucket of beer there and a bunch of food that Randy had ordered. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to do that hair of the dog thing and proceeded to have a couple of beers. I'm negotiating or starting the process with Randy. I had no idea what he was doing in there. Heard a knock on the door. It was room service. Randy had ordered more beer for God's sake. And uh, I went to go open the door and I looked over to my right where the bathroom was. And there's Randy Stark naked, you know, dying his beard and dying his hair. And I let the room service guy in there and he looked over at Randy and kind of looked at me and looked at Randy and looked at me and <laughs> and I took care of business and he walked out the door and I can, Oh my God, I can just, this is really before, you know, social media, of course. I said, Oh man, I can just hear the rumors now. <laughs> I can hear the rumors now. <laughs> Look at Randy swinging both ways. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you stories like that where I, I, and I love covering pro wrestling. I love watching pro wrestling. I don't know if you could, cover a major sport or or field like this if you didn't enjoy the product but it's stories like that it was the eric one that sticks out it was the best randy savage interview i've ever done was with his mother before she passed away and i remember how protective may he rest in peace too lanny was of his mom and he said why do you want to speak with my mother and i said well i i don't want to know about the macho man i want to know about randy poffo and he said i don't think it's a good idea and finally i he must have spoke with me enough times that he knew i was sincere and I had a 45-minute, maybe 50-minute conversation with Mrs. Poffo. And it was, you know, sort of like if you had a grandmother and you were close with her, kind of having tea with her. And, 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 and it was over the phone, but we spoke for just under an hour. And she never called him the macho man. or She may have mentioned that wrestling thing once or twice, but she spoke about her son, Randy. So to me, as this young writer, young journalist, young reporter, the idea that and, and so much has changed since there's so many other good options now too to find wrestling writing, but to share these stories, to reveal these aspects you didn't know, I just found it so enthralling, so compelling to write. And if, to me, if I'm having fun writing a story, I hope the reader has fun reading it. Another quick Eric Bischoff story uh, it was a little bit less glamorous. It was the Mauro Ronaldo JBL. Do you remember that story? It was the bullying story backstage? Yeah. And Eric was, I'm in Boston, so Eric was in somewhere in Rhode Island at an indie show, I think, maybe mm -hmm. an XWF or, or one of those. And Eric was kind of like a, like a, you know, commissioner for the day or, you know what I mean? He, he kind of oversaw the show. And uh, before the show, you walked in and I was, I was there early and I'd had my coffee and I said, Eric, you know, and I think you remember who, I never know if people remember who I am, but Eric's were polite and said, hi, Justin. And. Uh, I said, I'd love to talk to you about the JBL Morrow story. And you said, well, you know, see, see me after. So I, I was staying for the show anyways. Maybe you were testing and maybe you weren't, but I stayed for the show. And uh, I remember after the show, Eric said something to the extent of, 
I didn't know if you'd stay. And I said, of course, you know, I think your, your voice should be vital to the story. Multiple people had either, and I've, I've always had good relationships and people with people in wrestling, but multiple people who, uh, some are no longer here with us. So I don't want to say their names because they couldn't uh, defend their side of the story, but either told me to F off or hung up on me, or it was a big story when it came out. And it looked like maybe I was trying to, in their eyes, maybe I was trying to hurt the wrestling business when really I was just trying to tell the story. Anyways, Eric said, you were, you expressed some hesitancy about speaking with me, um, but you did it. I think you maybe respected the questions. And um, I don't remember the conversation word for word, but I said to Eric, I'm going to play this as straight as I can. I just want it out there. I think it's important to you know expose or another part of this industry. And I remember Eric was one of the few voices that spoke with me in that piece. And afterward, I think Eric called me or messaged me or something. And he said, it wasn't because I looked good or wasn't because I looked bad, but you did what you said you would and you played it straight. And I, I didn't twist the words or something like that was the extent of what Eric said. So I think since then, we've always had a pretty good relationship, um, at, at least from my perspective. But and um, mine, mine as well. Mine as well. Hence you're, hence you're with us today. Yeah. <laughs> well, so. and, and I want to ask you about that. Just because, sides it's important because it's for me as a sports journalism junkie. I, I read 10 to 12 columns a day or long form features a day in sports. Journal. Like today, as we tape this, it's the day after the Texas Rangers won the World Series. I've read six features about them winning the World Series, just of storytelling about the human emotion. And what I love about your approach is you do something that not a lot of people in the pro wrestling journalism space do. You cover the news. The news is an important part of what you do, but you, and I can tell, love doing these long-form human interest features about the people involved in the industry. How much is that part of your craft, and why do you place such value on that? Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Well, I think, too, you want to zig where they zag in terms of there's so many people out there that do so many things so well, whether it's breaking news or instant reaction. I think one thing I can I take a lot of pride in, at least, is, is crafting a story. So this past summer, for instance, I thought it was, you know, either people were so so defensive and proud of John Moxley for bleeding. Others were so critical. I thought, geez, it'd be great to tell a story on why John bleeds. I don't think we've heard Mox talk about why it's so important to him. So we called that the, you know, Moxie's dissertation on blood. And it was so much fun to get into his head because again, to me at least, and I think this goes back to, to being a fan and, and, and respecting so much, and I, and I don't wrestle and I've never wrestled. And I think it'd be hard to hit the ropes, 
Um, but to have so much respect for what the women and men of pro wrestling, what they do and the sacrifices they've made to share different stories, particularly ones behind the curtain or inside the mind of those people. Um, you know, I think that that was an interesting chance that dissertation on blood, even this past week, speaking with uh, sting, uh, that story ran Wednesday and Wednesday's weekend wrestling column and to hear sting about the two times in his life, he cried and once was Panama city with wrestling Ric Flair and, and Rick's been open about that. He wasn't happy with the way he was presenting himself. He wore the t-shirt, the, uh, the nitro t-shirt that night sting wins the match and he's raising his hand and smiling. He said on the inside, he was devastated. They'd lost, or at least what they'd built was no longer going to be theirs anymore. It was WWE owned WWF owned. Um, so that was another chance. To, and then, then to compare that to dynamite last week, it's sting and Rick again on a Turner broadcast station. And, um, he said it felt like that moment again, but we got to rewrite it as a happier moment. So I just think that I try to give something every week that's not out there. And to me, that's long form. I think you want to be careful because sometimes I think it can be too long and I think it's, it's got to be readable. I'm a reader too, John. So I'm right there with you. I can't read enough, but to me, it's like, I hope the sting piece, if I did it right, there was nothing else out there like that. Yeah. So I want to give people the reader, especially myself too. I know, starting to go on and on, but there was one pay-per-view. I think it was SummerSlam, the one where uh, Brock Lesnar kept sup uh, suplexing John Cena. Yeah. I remember I so, so badly after wanted, and, and maybe maybe Twitter was in its infancy. I, or It, it was 2014. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking I, I would love to read. Like, I, I wanted to read more. I wanted to read more about the decision to not to bury John Cena, but he never loses matches that way. And Brock Lesnar looked great. Like I would have loved instant Feedback, just like you would after a baseball game or after an NBA finals game, I want to read more. So I wanted, you know, to me, I want, I wanted to help fill that gap for, for anyone who was interested in maybe going a little bit deeper. Eric, you what know what's great from, from my perspective, Justin is, and this is harder to do with active talent, right? Because they have a character to protect and they're involved in a storyline. So it's, it's a little more difficult to really get inside the head of and get to know the real person, but that's where the magic lies. And that's where, even in this world that we live in now with regard to wrestling and, you know, kayfabe has been dead forever, but when you get to know the person, when you get to know Sting, when you get to know Moxley, when you get to know Brett, when you get to know whoever you're, you know, Randy, obviously talking to his mother, it gives the audience a chance to see a, another dimension of the character, like you just pointed out, that you don't typically see. But I think it connects the audience to that personality in a much more concrete way. They feel like they know them. They feel like they have a relationship with them, even if they've never met them, but they know things about certain talents that they had never heard before. There's a lot of value in that, a lot of value. It's, it's unfortunate, and I understand it, I'm not being critical, but I'd like to see more of that even presented within the context of the individual shows, because it just makes the performers more interesting, in my opinion. I couldn't agree more. It was a Jim Ross story, and I think it was a kind of a, a sad opening, but it was Jim mourning his wife, the loss of his, his widow and, um, I mean, unfair death and you know, unexpected and tragic. And uh, Jim said something to me after the story where, like, geez, Justin, you know my voice better than I do because it read just like him. And I said, well, Jim, I've been, I mean, for a lot of you in wrestling, someone like yourself, Eric, I mean, you've been in my life since what, the mid nineties? I mean, on television watching. So I know 
or, you know, if I'm, if I'm doing a story with Kevin Nash, for instance, I've listened to so many Kevin Nash interviews over the last 20, 25 years. It's, it's not difficult to do or a Brett interview or so I think you, you really kind of captured the ethos, Eric, of what I try to do, but hopefully there's that relationship and that trust where someone can let their guard down and not get burned. And that doesn't mean later on, you know, I might not be able to break a story. I think what, this is an older one, but a Wrestle Kingdom story was Tanahashi and Jericho. And I remember my editor asked, well, what if I didn't get the scoop from either of them, but what if you break a contact? And I said, well, I, I hope there's enough trust and enough mutual respect that that's not the case. Right. Um, and it's not like that was a personal attack on a guy, but then again, business can be personal anyways. Um, yeah. I think that's the, that's the key thing, having this trust and respect with a guy or with a person where they're able to share their stories. And I mean, I'm asking a lot of people too, you know, when we speak, I'm asking you to open up your soul. One of my favorite stories, and it's one of the proudest I've ever done, is the uh, 25-year anniversary of the NWO. And you were the first phone call I made, and you couldn't do that story now, right? Because Scott's not here. Uh, but that, to me, the NWO stories are always so exciting because it's the backstory. It's how do you get Hulk? Because you might call him, and he might text back and say, I'll call you in 10 does that mean 10 minutes, 10 hours, 10 days? It usually means 10 for forevers. <laughs> 10 forevers, right. Um, Scott Hall said he would not speak to me. And Scott and I had, a, I thought, a pretty good relationship, but maybe he just wasn't in a place to speak. And I was honest, and I, I, I think I called one last time. I said, I'm not going to keep calling. Um, but, you know, Kevin spoke, and he shared his memories. Eric spoke. Hulk spoke. Uh, Paul White, the uh, giant big show, spoke. Tony Schiavone. And I think I went through the list of people that spoke. And I said, if, you know, I would be grateful to have your voice. But if you opt not to, I mean, that's that's your decision. And Scott, I think it was his last interview, sadly. Um, I'll share one more personal one since since Scott came up, too. Another great, geez, I'm, another great Scott Hall story is the, uh, Eric, it's you in the, is it the Lamborghini in Scott? Oh, when I picked him up at the airport? I don't know how he fits in that. <laughs> it, it wasn't a Lamborghini. It was, uh, and, and I mistakenly for years, I kept referring to, cause I had a Porsche at the time and my wife had the Jag. It was a four door big sedan. And around that time I had a, a Porsche 911 and I assumed I must've picked him up in my car, but I found out years later, like, I don't know. I picked him up in my wife's car for that very reason, because he wouldn't fit in my Porsche. People forget because of that era, guys were so much. You hear Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels say this quite often that they were the smaller guys back then. You look at Bret now; he's as big or bigger than anybody, just about. Uh, Scott was a giant back when wrestlers were giants. Scott was a big guy. I've actually never shared this story before, and I, I don't think I'm breaking any trust by doing it. I certainly don't intend it to be that way. But uh, it was an interview with Shawn Michaels, and I'd requested it through WWE. I had contacts there that that knew who I was and I think trusted me. And it was after Scott died and I didn't want to reach out to Kevin. I think I texted my condolences, but I just thought it was too close. And Sean Waltman, I thought it was just too close, but Sean went way back with Scott to the eighties and the indie circuit. And I thought, well, maybe Sean would be willing to, to speak. So I don't know, 24 hours go by and I hear back and I get a text. Sean's willing to talk. Um, I said, great. You know, obviously very sad circumstances. And and we did the interview and it was emotional. And, and Sean's in tears. And this isn't 
the heartbreak kid talking about Razor Ramon or a ladder match at WrestleMania 10. It's talking about a dear friend who just passed away and he just said goodbye to. We stop recording and Sean says to me, and I've met Sean. I, I did a, a spot on the, um, it was a fun sports. I thought it was fun. Sports Illustrated spot on NXT, uh, the In Your House, one of the pandemic years, they all blend together. So I've had the chance to see Sean and, and get to know him over the years. And um, I think we've always had a pretty good rapport. And he said to me, shut your camera off. Shut your recorder off. He said, I will never speak to you again if you don't tell this story the right way. He said, I'm not telling you what the right way is, but this is my friend. And, and, and Sean's, you know, breaking down saying this. It was so emotional and so raw. And it's, you know, to me, I wasn't covering a pro wrestling segment or match or I was, you know, it's an opportunity to share someone's life. And uh, obviously I, I hope that that story captured the brilliance of Scott's career. It's hard to say there was any career quite like it. I remember after that story, um, I actually got a request from a new Japan rep. Um, I don't even know how he read the piece because it was in English. Maybe he was able to read it or it got translated, but Hiroshi Tanahashi wanted to tell me a Scott Hall story because his Scott Hall story is very similar to Sean Waltman's except you know, this is in Japan and, and, and Scott wanted to make this young guy, Tanahashi, look good. Um, Scott was just so smart and so ahead of his time and so intertwined with you, Eric, because you guys will go down in wrestling history for what you did together. Um, but I'll always remember that moment with Sean where it wasn't. And a lot of guys in, in wrestling, this is a great uh, Bubba Dudley story who said, um, I don't know. He said, I'm going to intimidate you. And I said, what well, about some stories? If, if I get it wrong or he said, that's what we do. We're pro wrestlers. We intimidate. Or Dallas Page said something similar. But the moment with Sean wasn't intimidation. It was it was heart to heart. Uh, make sure you respect my friend in his in this eulogy piece. Uh, so that's a moment that when you talk about relationships and and, and people letting their guard down uh, and not taking advantage of people when 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 they trust you, um, I think those are all critical components for me in terms of being able to tell the stories that I'm able to tell. Just so what's the appetite for wrestling content now outside of, well, including sports illustrated, but in mainstream is the appetite grown larger because of the success of it, the growth of it. Absolutely. And you see it with ESPN who's uh, been connected with WWE. Um, we still have had a hard time or I've had a hard time. It's a battle. I'm, you know, I'll be in, I don't know if people, I still, I mean, I think we're all roughly in the same era. The magazine still means so much to me. I'll be in the November magazine um, with the Mike Tyson piece. Getting wrestling in the magazine is still a battle. And it's still something I feel obligated to fight for uh, out of pride. I mean, I'm not covering pro wrestling because I have to. I cover pro wrestling because I want to, especially for a mainstream outlet like Sports Illustrated. Um we had a Roman Reigns piece before WrestleMania, after WrestleMania 35. And I was really proud that we were able to get, if you can get the words pro wrestling in the magazine, uh, you're doing something right. But I, I think the audience is there. I always believed that if it was good, if it's, if it, you know, it's, if it's good enough, if it's content, content is king to me. Uh, if it's good, people will find it. If it's a good story, it'll get out there somehow. Um, and I remember that early in my career when, I did a piece. It was a, a Yankee perspective. John, I'll send it to you if you want. I liked it. It didn't get much play, but it was a Yankee perspective at Fenway. And um, I got these great quotes from Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter, who I caught at the right moment, I think, 
there were two foreign reporters who were asking questions at Fenway in a, in a scrum outside that he couldn't understand. And by the fourth or fifth time he was asked, Ajita was really annoyed. And he looked around because I was told he wouldn't answer any Fenway or Red Sox pointed questions. And I asked him the question. And I think he was just so irritated. He was looking for somebody else to speak with. He answered my question. Um, but that story didn't do well. My point with that is if it's good, people will find it. Mm. So that was, that's always been my, my goal, right? To make compelling stories, write compelling stories, something that people would want to read. And, and the dirtiest secret of what I do is, I mean, look at, look at John's podcast, right? Matt Hardy, Matt Hardy's got decades worth of compelling, engaging stories. Eric Bischoff, Eric Bischoff has stories that he hasn't even shared yet that would make, that would captivate wrestling fans. I don't know if you've been open with this one, Eric, the, uh, I guess my, the point of my point of saying is the dirtiest secret that I have is I have very compelling subjects, but Eric Bischoff going into a hotel room or going in, checking into a hotel. Didn't you check in as Vince? There's some really good story that I don't know how much you've told that one, but. There's oh, no, I've told this story before. I didn't check in as Vince, but we were all in Las Vegas for what was at one time, a very important television convention called NAPTE, N-A-P-T-E, National Association for Pro Television Programming Executives or some shit. And this was back when syndication was a very important part of the television industry. It's since become less significant. But every year there was this big convention. And with this year, particular year, was in Las Vegas. And I'd gotten in a couple of days early because, well, you know, when I was younger, I'd like to get into Vegas early for obvious reasons. And I was with Zane Bresloff. Zane used to work. He was a promoter that worked for WWF back into the day. And he was now working for me in WCW. And we got along really great. He was a fun guy. Zane didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't chase women, didn't do anything, but he gambled like a motherfucker. And he <laughs> just sports. He didn't do tables. He didn't place nothing. He just, he just loved betting on sports. So we were hanging out for a while. And uh, he said, you know what we should do? He said, I know. I have some inside information. Vince is going to check into the Treasure Island Hotel and Casino. He goes, why don't we call reservations and tell them that we're going to cancel, that, that we're Vince McMahon and we're going to cancel the uh, reservation? So I said, I'll do that. <laughs> so we, we could, Knowing that every hotel room in Las Vegas was sold out months and months and months in advance, and then Vince would have to get to Vegas and scramble to find a room. I just thought, you know, it was a childish, juvenile, high school kind of prank, but I loved every second of it. <laughs> and I'm guessing there was some uh, uh, liquid courage behind that decision as well. You guys had had a few Oh, I, mean, no, I wasn't nervous about doing it at all. It was, I was probably <laughs> less inhibited to do it and less professional and, and more like an 18-year-old kid and not like a 40-something-year-old professional. But, yeah, I had fun anyway. <laughs> I think it's so much fun with that trust, hopefully, with your subject or the people you're speaking with, you can give the reader something they don't have. So, to me, that's kind of the basis yeah. or foundation of – of what I'm trying, what I've tried to build and what I try to bring to readers. Cause again, wrestling is so much fun. And obviously there are areas of wrestling that are, are uh, there's an underbelly and less glamorous, but there are so many parts and so many good people that deserve recognition and stories to be shared. And uh, so many memories too. I mean, it's a Jim Ross line, but when stings on TV, it makes you feel young. Yeah. I could go back in time at my grandmother's house, watching with my brother. I mean, she hasn't been alive for decades, but it brings you back in time. Yeah. I think there's so much uh, special elements of wrestling that that we can share, too. So not that every story is a, a glowing look back at the uh, history of the industry, but I think it's another element to to cover as well. Well, Justin, I know you got to get going, but uh, I want to ask you this real quick before we let you go. 
what is one thing you'd like to see improve or come out of the pro wrestling journalism space in the next five to 10 years that you think would better the industry as we move forward? Well, I, I think you can't have it both ways. When you want mainstream coverage, you've got to take the good with the bad. I think WWE's gotten better at that, certainly. You know, I thought it was interesting, and this is more of a combat sports take, John, than, than just pro wrestling. I'll, 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 I'll circle back to pro wrestling, but I, I, was, I wasn't in Saudi this past weekend for the Tyson Fury-Francis Ngannou fight, but I was annoyed that the post, uh, post-match, it just felt so gimmicky that the post-fight press conference was called off. To me, that reeks of, we got your money, we did what we want, we'll see you later. And whether that's a boxing thing or that was the certain promotion behind the fight, but I just didn't like the fact, uh, again, if you want coverage, it's got to go both ways. And you can't imagine a, a professional sport, the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball, the NFL, after a game saying, oh, we're not going to have our press conference. It just wouldn't happen because right. they're big time. It just would not occur. Um, I don't know. I think that... Yeah, I think we have a lot of talented voices covering wrestling. Um, I think that'll only continue to grow. Uh, I think it's nice that wrestling has the mainstream options. Be nice if ESPN did more. Be nice if the athletic got involved. I think you need more mainstream options too. But I hope that wrestling always keeps the, I think any wrestling fan could tell you their favorite wrestling sites. You know, they and I just think we all have our own. Um that you go to every every Monday night after Raw, Tuesday morning, or or whatever it is. But I think that uh, just a healthy industry, you need lots of options. So more mainstream options, I think, would be nice. I could I could rattle off names. I'm hesitant to because I don't want to leave anyone off. But I can think of a half dozen names at the top of my head. It would be great wrestling correspondents for the Athletic. Yeah. Or the ESPN could do more AEW coverage. And I know they're in, uh, tied with WWE, but what wrestling is. It, it, it's big money. It's a, I don't know. I, I, I think they're foolish or short-sighted not to see that some of these, some of these bigger groups. Um, so, and it's such a passionate fan base. The thing about wrestling is, and it's as passionate a fan base as any other sport in the world. Um, I've said that, I've said that a million times, you know, I, I used to think that NASCAR had probably the most loyal fan base of, of all sports. Um, because they're obsessive. They're not just fans. They're, they're obsessive fans, or at least they were. I don't see it as much anymore because I'm not as engaged in NASCAR as I once was. But I, I agree with you, man. Wrestling fans are the most loyal fans in, in terms of television, for sure. They are so loyal. And I, I just wonder if sometimes, and I know you have to go, Justin, but I, I, just, wonder, I just wonder if the resistance by some mainstream media in, into covering wrestling is because there's very few of you. There's very few people like you who are great writers who could cover sports traditionally um, and, and can do a phenomenal job, but also understand the wrestling product. I think for most people, probably people above you on the food chain, the corporate food chain, wrestling is still that square peg in a round hole. Everybody recognizes it's very popular, but it's not really sports. It, it's very athletic, but it's not really sports. And that's probably the resistance. It's always been the resistance, you know, in the advertising community. It's the same thing. And it's not pure entertainment either. So what is it? I agree. And that's why it's stories like that NWO 25 story. The amount of phone calls I got, Eric, from the office, from our editorial, from our editors, like, holy smokes, this story's how is this story still doing so well? Well, I mean, Hulk Hogan 
I think maybe Steve Austin, certainly The Rock now, and, and Eric, John, you could comment on this too, but who's more recognizable than Hulk? I'm sure Austin's up there. Dwayne Johnson certainly is too. But I think still, you know, from, from 5 to 75, 5 to 85, it's still Hulk. Kevin Nash has been given so much of his adult life to wrestling. One of the stories we did together, and maybe because Kevin trusts me, maybe because it was one of those days, but we were doing a – Kevin, I'm jumping around now. Every time I want to say goodbye, I, I start with a, a new hello. But Kevin was telling a story about uh, – excuse me, I was, it, was a, it was a Mattel story on a new wrestling figure line. It was, it was a Diesel figure and a Doink the Clown. And I thought, oh, it would be neat because Kevin doesn't get the credit he deserves, in my opinion, for that run as Diesel. He wasn't Hulk. He wasn't Brett. Kevin was special. He wasn't Sean, but Kevin was special as Diesel. And that was an interesting era in wrestling. And WWE was very cartoony. And you had WCW with this very edgy, realistic product. And it was very different. So I thought he made the most of Diesel right from the time he won the belt from Bob Backlund. Uh, and I was in the thick of it as a kid at the time. And we were talking and I asked Kevin a question about that era. And he said, you know, Justin, what I remember most, it's burying my mother. And I thought to myself, we're doing a wrestling figure interview here. So I cut him off and I said, are you crazy? Why would you cut off something that's so real and raw and meaningful? And he told this story about how he didn't particularly grieve because he had another show to go. He had another show to wrestle. And it was this, to me, very endearing story of this man who, who, who really missed his mother and loved, loved his mother. But he had a show. To, I mean, think of all the kids at the next town. If they said our champion Diesel can't wrestle tonight. Who cares the reason, right? Like you have to make your next town. It's such a unique field. I can't think of many other like baseball players. And I love baseball. They take days off all the time. It's part of the season. And that's a long season. It's not wrestling. Like Kevin, he's mourning his mother. So I guess the point of that story is, again, relationships. Um, but I think there's so many fun stories that we don't know about behind the scenes. And they're not all uh terrible stories that make you dislike people. There's a lot of really endearing stories about the people we grew up watching yeah. and care about or cared about. Um, and that's so neat. So I think to me, I'm going back to answer the questions too, but more mainstream coverage. Like I think Kevin is another example, or there's plenty of guys who are really fascinating. Uh, Dustin Runnels, what a career, right? There's so many guys who Brian Danielson, there's so many guys in AW that are just so fascinating. Becky Lynch, she's going to be on, Jeopardy uh, coming up soon. Like, I can't wait. I, you know, uh, I haven't got her yet, but like, I would love to do a story on Becky at Jeopardy. And she's on with Macaulay Culkin, who's also a wrestling fan. Like, you can't write, you can't make this stuff up. So wrestling is just so fascinating. Um, and if people don't see it, then maybe it's not for them. But uh, man, we live in a such a, we cover such a fascinating world. So yeah. It's fun to talk about. It's certainly. Justin, thanks for joining us, brother. Thank you, gentlemen. This episode of Strictly Business is presented to you by Blue Chew. Let's talk about sex, gentlemen. Remember the days when you were always ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. It's BlueChew.com. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you're going to receive prescriptions within 
days. The best part, it's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and the tablets are made in the United States, prepared and shipped directly to your door in a discreet package. You know, when a guy like Eric Bischoff likes to take the road, he loves bringing Mrs. B along with him. And some of those travel days can be long and arduous. So wouldn't you want a little extra something, something once you arrive to the hotel room? That's why Eric Bischoff keeps Blue Chew in his bag wherever he goes. And we want to help you have better sex. Now discover your options at bluechew.com. Chew it and do it. And we got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code WrestleBiz at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com promo code WrestleBiz to receive your first month absolutely free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Really great stuff from Justin Barrasso there. Eric, anything you want to tack on on the end of that? No, it's always fun talking. Justin is so passionate. And I think it comes across, you know, if he would have had the time, I think he, he we would have spent three hours in that <laughs> interview because he's just so passionate and has so many great stories. He's a great, great dude and a great writer. Excellent writer. One of the things that I think makes a great storyteller, especially on the human interest side, is you kind of have to be inherently curious about the human experience and what makes us feel things and have emotions and how do we triumph in the face of tragedy and overcome adversity i think that's the backbone of a great storyteller and i think justin really encompasses those qualities especially the curiosity even you just hear in that interview how fascinating he found so many of the stories that you talked about that that is a critical element to a great storyteller and i think that can translate into the pro wrestling realm eric especially uh, as we get into this discussion here on AEW right now, there's been a lot of discourse in the past couple of weeks specifically about storytelling in AEW. And the rating just came down as we record. Per WrestleNomics, 832,000 viewers for AEW Dynamite on TBS this week. The demo was up 14%. Dynamite overall up 7% compared to last week, which was... 774,000 viewers. That goes against the deciding game of the World Series, which has actually been on pace to be the lowest rated World Series of all time between the Diamondbacks and the Texas Rangers. What do you make of it? I think it's a good, I think it's a, it's a win. I mean, it's up from last week. And anytime you're doing better this week than you did last week, that's that goes into the win column. I think it's also, um, interesting you know i said last week when rick flair was a surprise and i cautioned everybody not to read too much into that because rick wasn't promoted nobody knew it was going to happen it was a surprise a legitimate surprise which i think are invaluable in terms of subconsciously creating a must-see tv experience if you can over time convince the audience that you're going to have these surprises that people want to see live or going to wish they would have seen live, but you can pace them out. You can do them effectively. That's one of the things that helped turn Nitro into must-see TV and, and appointment viewing, as they used to call it back in the day. It hardly ever exists anymore, to be honest with you. But I think the fact that the number was up, this week's rating was up over last week, kind of is a tip of the cap to Rick. Very possibly could be. And um, 
it's all good, man. It's a win. Take a win any way you can get it. One of the things that may have helped with the rating, hypothetically speaking here, was that there was an important announcement advertised. Now, I know Whew. that you've had some fun in the past with these announcement what's the announcements. One step, what's the saying? One step forward. Two steps Rick, back. Two steps back with this special announcement. Well, <laughs> this was an announcement of an announcement. And and it's 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 kind of been a running bit, right? That Tony Khan has a very important announcement. Uh, here's a important announcement. Here's a huge announcement. Whatever the adjective specifically is, uh, changes by the week. Sometimes Tony Khan's on camera. Sometimes they're just physically announcing it. Whatever it may be. And in the past, there have been some pretty big announcements that have come out of it, but also maybe some not so big announcements. And the announcement this week, Eric, was about the upcoming pre-sale for AEW All in London next year. When next Eight year? From now. Like next September? Eight months from now. Wow. Which, it's not abnormal to have a pre-sale that far in advance, especially for a show like that. But... <laughs> yeah, it is. When, when was the last time... Wrestlemania no. went on sale eight months ago, eight months in advance. No, dude, t- concert tickets go on sale like a year in advance now for shows. Like that's concert not tickets. Actual. Yeah, okay, concert tickets, but not. It's it's not typical business in the yeah. wrestling business. I think it's honestly with the ticketing industry, just the way it is right now. I feel like people are sharks and want to hop on that. Um, but my point here is: this an announcement that necessarily needed to be hyped and uh, taking TV space at that? Because a lot of fans, Eric, were feeling a little let down after this one. A little. Let me let let me. Sh- when we're done, I'll share you some of the s- stuff that's been on my feed, and I I haven't solicited it. I'm. I said a couple weeks ago, I'm gonna try to be objective, and and yes, I'll answer a question if I'm asked, but I'll try to be as constructive and as kind as I can be in, in some of those responses. I just don't want to constantly be bashing. And here's the truth, John. There's nothing that I can say, nothing I can say that I haven't been saying for two years. Right. There's nothing new here. It's the same issues over and over and over and over again. I can't talk about storytelling any more than I have for the last two years. And by the way, two years ago, over two years ago now probably, you know, everybody was like, oh, you're so negative. Are you just pissed off that Tony wouldn't give you a job for five? I wouldn't want a job with AEW. And, and not because it's not a good place and it's not an opportunity and not because I don't need the money necessarily. But at this time of my life, at this stage of my life, I just don't want that situation. I don't I don't want that burden. I don't want to have to – because to do that job well, you've got to live with it. It's 24 hours a day. You're not there in the office 24 hours a day. Or you're not on location 24 hours a day, but you're thinking about it 24 hours a day. And I don't have room to be, to be honest with you in my life. I have other things that I'm far more interested in. And I'd rather maintain the lifestyle that I have now than try to improve upon it by jumping back into the wrestling business. So it has nothing to do for all you trolls out there as to whether or not I was offered a job or want a job. That is not the case. My, my perspective on AEW has been from someone who has been there. 
I, I, I took over a company that wasn't a new company. That's an advantage. A new company is an advantage because you don't have any negative baggage. WCW was trash. The brand was trash when I took it over and I rebuilt it. And I went from a $25 million a year gross revenue company that was losing $10 million a year. And within a matter of three years, I think, of when I actually had control of the company, we were doing over $350 million a year in revenue and spinning off close to $50 million in profit, depending on whose books you wanted to believe. So I've been there and I've had that massive success, an unheard of amount of success, unprecedented in every way, especially in Turner and in wrestling. But then I also got to ride that horse into the mud and watch it die. So I've got a unique perspective, and that's always been my reaction to what I was seeing in, in AEW. Now, I've readily admitted many times that I know I come off harsh. I know I come off aggressive is probably a good way to say it when I'm critiquing or giving my opinion about certain things. But that's only because I hate to see opportunities wasted. And in a way, and this is going to be considered by the trolls out there, you AEW trolls, this is going to be considered to be negative, and, and but it's not meant to be. It's just honest. And right now, Tony Khan, because he's it's such a unique situation, he has his own money. He's got more money than he can spend in his next three lifetimes. And he's a massive wrestling fan. So he has this unique opportunity to launch this company called AEW with his own money, which means he's not accountable to anybody except for the network. And I know we keep reading, oh, the network's happy. And, you know, David's, they, they mention his name like they talk to him all the time. And maybe they do. I doubt it, but I could be wrong on that. David Zaslav's happy and everybody's happy. But we've seen the attendance. We know where that's going. We know where the ratings are and where they've been and where they're going. And if not that I, I certainly don't want this to happen. I'm my, my frustration is that I'm afraid that it will, but if for whatever reason, AEW isn't renewed and isn't able to find another television home. Do you know how long it's going to be before another wrestling company gets a shot? I don't care if you've got $300 million you're willing to spend. Nobody's going to touch it. If AEW isn't successful as a television property, it will be decades before another wrestling company emerges as a result of AEW's failure, if it fails. Conversely, if it's successful, who knows what can happen? You may, you may see a third company or a fourth emerge not that, and I don't want to discount what's going on over at the newly rebranded TNA or with Billy Corgan's NWA, but man, it's just, we'll see what happens. Well, I, I'm bringing it up because I'm going to, I'm going to share something that Brandon Thurston twixed out, as you like to say. I love that twixed out. <laughs> Uh, earlier because i was actually gonna wait to comment on it until we recorded our podcast today but brandon hit on a lot of what i was feeling and i'll, I'll piggyback on the end of it once we talk about it but uh, he said this hyping a mystery announcement and revealing it's a ticket on sale date even for AEW's biggest show demonstrates an astonishing disconnection with what fans care about who could possibly take seriously the inevitable next heavily hyped 
quote, major announcement. This, among other things, should raise questions as to whether Tony Khan is creating a working environment where smart people are willing to challenge him on decisions, and if so, whether he's listening. And I thought that was pretty pointed there. Have you ever heard me say that Tony Khan isn't going to surround himself with people smarter than him because Tony Khan wants to be considered Vince McMahon or Paul Heyman or Eric Bischoff from back in the 90s? As long as Tony's driven by ego and wanting to wanting people to know that he's the guy and he's the guy that's in charge of creative amongst all of his, his plethora of other titles, nothing's going to change. Tony has to listen to people who are better at creative than he is. And there's a lot of people around him who would be some of them. Most well, that's of them exactly it. Him. That's exactly it. He's surrounded by a lot of people who are very, very experienced in the wrestling realm in a lot of different walks of life from the wrestling realm. So the second part of that statement there from Brandon, where he talks about creating the environment where people are afraid to challenge him. And that's him hypothesizing based on what, we're seeing here because i mean i absolutely agree with him i think it came off as somewhat tone deaf that you're hyping an announcement and it's something that very easily could have been just quickly mentioned by excalibur at the commentary desk right oh hey by the way aw all in pre-sales starts next week or whatever it may be very easily it came across as a ratings ploy to just drag people in to tune into this big announcement but now what kind of equity and merit do you have the next time that you have a big announcement, especially with the track record of what we've seen lately with them? I and not only, not only that, and again, I'm going to go back to some of the stuff that I've talked about for the last couple of years. Once the audience decides they don't love you anymore and they leave and come back. That's it. Well, that's exactly the point I want to make. So, I've said this on this podcast many times that I thought one of the strongest things that Tony Khan had going for him, especially in the first few years of AEW, was the goodwill that he built up with his fan base. His fan base knew that if they stuck with the programming and paid attention to the little crumbs that were dropped in the storytelling, that they would be rewarded for it or if they wanted to get a great dream match, that they would be rewarded for it. And he came across as a, a fan putting on this big, gigantic wrestling show, these week-in, week-out dynamite extravaganzas and pay-per-views. It, it felt very different than what they had been preconditioned to experience with Vince McMahon, specifically. When you start to lose that goodwill... People aren't going to be making excuses for you. People aren't going to be tuning in to check out those breadcrumbs. I think right now, Eric, Tony Khan, and this is from my assessment of watching and kind of taking a temperature from others within the industry, I think he's very overwhelmed by everything that he's got going on. He's got a lot. He's got the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's got Fulham. The Jaguars are making a playoff push right now. We're entering this critical part of the wrestling season with television and getting to the new year. They're adding pay-per-views, the Warner Brothers Discovery discussions that are going on with television renewals. There's so much happening. He's got Ring of Honor, which, by the way, he's trying to promote a pay-per-view for and a streaming service for. Which, by the way, was really a bad decision, in my opinion. Went on and the record saying that as well. So all these things going on. Naturally, when someone is that overwhelmed with everything happening... You're going to start 
losing track of the fine details. That you know, you John, I, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw a flag on that. First of all, I don't know what Tony Khan's involvement with the Jaguars really is, other than going to the games. I, I, I doubt he's on the coaching staff. I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know. Literally, don't know. So I shouldn't say too much. But I, I question how much Tony Khan has to do with the Jaguars on a day-to-day basis, or Fulham, for that matter. I've been saying over a year ago, two years ago now, I said on 83 weeks in response to something really stupid and ignorant that Tony said, ignorant in the literal sense of the word, lack of information and knowledge, not to me derisive, just that's the definition of the word ignorant. And I used it in that context. I said, Tony, shut up and wrestle. Quit quit trying to compare yourself to WWE. Quit shitting on WWE because you're just not even close to being in the same conversation from the scope of business um, perspective. But he kept doing it. He continues to do it. And that's where you lose goodwill. Because, first of all, Tony, AEW doesn't have, if, if they have their own audience, it is a minor, minor portion of that 842,000 people, 842,000 people that watched the show last night or whatever the number was. Tony's audience is also watching WWE and probably enjoy it. There may be a small percentage of Tony's audience, maybe 20 or 30% that watch AEW exclusively. There has not been a, and you and I have disagreed, you see story where, frankly, I don't. Um, nothing's changed. Tony's been doing the same thing for Well, no, last I disagree. I, I think it's regressed significantly. I think, and, and this is what I was going to say, me talking about the things that Tony Khan's got going on, that's not an excuse for any of this. What I'm saying is something is happening here where it's now affecting the quality of the product in that, I think what's happening, John. I think what's happening is people are just tired of it. They've been watching it, and they've been they've been because of the goodwill. And you're right to point that out. I absolutely agree with you. You're right on the money, but that only lasts so long. Yeah, and people will overlook mistakes. People will set aside their belief about the quality of a storyline or whether one actually even exists. They'll set us. They'll give you some time, but after a while, it's just like they quit cutting you slack. Well, and I'll Gary- give you an example. Like, I'm not trying to cut you off. I apologize, but I'll, I'll give you an example here. Willow Nightingale, who is someone that I think a lot of wrestling fans look at as someone who could potentially lead a division one day, really talented, exudes charisma, the type of person you want on your roster. She has lost time after time after time in big matches. She lost multiple number one contenders match for the AW Women's Championship. And then out of nowhere, it's announced on social media, she's got an AEW Women's Championship match with Hikaru Shida this week on Dynamite after she just lost the number one contenders match. And they, when, when the company first started, weren't they supposed to keep track of wins and losses? Well, they had rankings more for like a while, and those went, out the, those went out the window. They had rankings, and they went out the window. Um, but my point here is rewarding fans for paying attention, right? Like that's the beautiful part of storytelling when you reward someone right. who's been invested since the beginning of the story or got involved in the middle of the story and they're along for the ride and you give them a payoff. If people are invested in Will Nightingale's story where she keeps falling short, keeps falling short and hasn't been able to win the number one contenders match or the big match, whatever it may be. And now all of a sudden she's granted a match out of nowhere. 
it reflects what I consider to be, and this is my opinion, I consider to be a very bad era of the Vince McMahon era of storytelling, the 2018, 2019, where stuff was completely disregarded. Oh, what you saw happen two weeks ago doesn't matter anymore. And that's that to me is like a huge red flag when your storytelling and your program starts to venture into that territory of disregarding things that you have established on your own television show within Canon. And I know how detail oriented this guy is, Tony Khan. He's extremely detail oriented. So it's not reflected. It's certainly not reflected in his show. So I'm saying as a human being, he's extremely analytical and, and so forth. So it surprises me to see how sudden as someone who is watching both WWE and AW every single week, every single television show they're doing, I, it really was quite a red flag to me. And I think Tony Khan is, is a good guy who has the best intentions for his talent and his roster and the fans. But something is happening here where something has to be done. And I think what Brandon said is dead on the money. And what's interesting is Brandon uh, is friends and friendly and worked with Chris Harrington. Who's an yeah. executive in AEW? And for so for Brandon to come out and discuss his opinion the way that he did, it is subtle as it was. Well, it wasn't so subtle, but it was polite. It was professional, but it spoke loudly to me. If if Brandon is coming out and being that critical, given his relationship with Chris Harrington and Harrington's relationship with AEW. Whew, it's not good. Look, it's not good. I'm not sitting here saying the sky is falling, anything like that. But it's very evident. That it's slipping. <laughs> some sort of evaluation of what do we do to ensure there's more cohesiveness within the fibers of the product should. I think it's beyond that, John. It, it's it's. I mean that, that it's that too. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Again, for over two years, I've been harping on story, 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 story. And I mean a disciplined, well-crafted story with plot twists and, 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 and an arc that's really disciplined and designed to have a maximum impact when, when, it, when it concludes. None of that is happening. And it's never happened, ever, since AEW's been around. It needs to happen. They need a much more sophisticated storytelling team that under, first of all, understand what that even means and, and how to do it. The other thing that I think AEW needs as much as that is vision. What is AEW? Are you going to tell me it's an alternative? In what way is it an alternative? It's not. It's just another version of with many of the same talents that were former WWE talents at the top of the card. There's nothing different, better than, less than, different than. I came up with that one day, years ago, when I was sitting in my office with a, a, a figurative gun to my head, 20 minutes after Ted Turner told me to go head-to-head -head with WWE in prime time. What am I going to, what the fuck am I going to do? I didn't anticipate that. And I, after hours of sitting there looking at a blank piece of paper by myself, I said, well, I can't be better than the WWE. 
I don't want to be less than WWE. I only got one other option. That's be different. AEW is not different than unless you consider a lesser version of different. There's no vision there. So without a vision and without good storytelling, what have you got? You got cosplay. Yeah. Again, I'm never going to take personal shots of people, especially people that I, I do like as human beings. And I do like Tony Khan as a human being, but it's very evident that something needs to be reevaluated here when this stuff is constantly coming out every single week and you have a hyped announcement. The next time, Eric, that they hype an announcement, who could possibly care? Who could possibly care? It's just. Yeah, that's, you know, you can only burn the audience so yeah. many times before. And, I, and I'm, again, I'm just, now let's be honest. I'll be honest with myself here. People are going, you know, people are going to fill my timeline with things they think I want to hear based on their perception of how I feel. They don't really know how I feel. They don't really know that I want AEW to be really successful As because I'd love to see another wrestling company emerge or I'd love to see one of the ones like NWA or TNA get to remind myself. I'd love to see them get the next big opportunity and not languish in obscurity on the CW network or wherever the fuck. TNA is here. I don't even know access or whatever access, mm -hmm. um, which nobody watches could be the best show in the world and nobody's going to watch it. Um, I'd love to see them get that next big opportunity, but unless AEW shows some signs of growth, as I've been discussing for the last two years, unless they show some indications of growth and turn the tide because the tide is going out and it's not coming back in. It's just constantly going out. Numbers are deteriorating. Live events are deteriorating. Everything is deteriorating. And unless they can turn that around within the next couple months, or in, not a great deal, not like you have to do 180 degrees, but God, give us some indication other than a one-off event in the UK, because that's not really a, a barometer or a bellwether by any stretch. It, it's a one-off unique situation. But unless they can show some growth, it's going to be really difficult for anybody else to grow. And that's the part, that's the blowing the opportunity that probably frustrates me more than anything. Because it's not, it's not that hard. I mean, it's hard work, but it's not that hard. I think focus is what it all boils down to. Just having focus and not letting all the periphery noise dictate your path and we'll see and an we'll ego see. check let somebody who's yeah. better at doing what you wish you were good at let somebody else who's really good at it do it and you go do the other shit is that one of the toughest things as a leader eric when you realize that somebody else might be able to offer Depends something on a leader some of the greatest leaders in the world are people that recognize their own weaknesses and fill yeah. those voids with people that are better than they are at what they wish they were good at that's a leader that's a leader Someone who fails to recognize what they're not good at, but continues to do it anyway. Damn the torpedoes. That's not a leader. That's an ego. Well, we got a lot of ego here on Strictly Business, and we want you to be part of it. Head on over to advertisewitheric.com, and you can get your business and product out in front of what I believe, and I know, is one of the best wrestling podcasts in the world right now on the 83 Weeks feed. Advertise with Eric. 
Com is going to get your business and product out in front of thousands of listeners every single week here. And it's going to be a lot of fun, Eric. We are approaching WrestleCade, as I talked about earlier. I'm going to head on down to Winston-Salem with you. We'll have a good time there. Oh, by the way, I'm going to bring a bunch of my new book, The Grateful. Well, that's Great. not really a new book, but I'm going to be bringing a bunch of those with me. So if you haven't gotten your copy yet, you'll be able to get an autographed copy at WrestleCade. Fantastic. Love to hear that. Anything else you want to throw out there, my friend? No, I'm hungry. Kind of want to eat some lunch. (laughs) All right. I love to hear it. This has been Strictly Business Week. We'll see you next time. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.